You're listening to a DM podcast. Welcome to The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. As an author, ad man and theologian, I've always been interested in people's stories. Not just those with a high profile, but people from all walks of life, regardless of fame. Which is why I created this show. Each guest who takes The Five of My Life challenge chooses a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. It's amazing what you can learn when discussing someone's five choices. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it. Chris Meredith is the latest guest to join the Five of My Life Sixer Club. Namely, those guests who have been nominated to take the Five of My Life challenge by other guests. Paul Fairweather nominating him at the end of episode 122. Chris has many strings to his bow, photographer, entrepreneur, teacher, consultant and broadcaster. I love the stories and learnings from this conversation, memorably including the role of an umbrella in his lifelong romance and his curious relationship with Sydney's Shark Highway. I hope you enjoy. So, Chris, welcome to Five of My Life. Nigel, it's a huge pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, and I should also say, welcome to the exclusive uh, group that I call the Sixers. So one of the wonderful things uh, I think about Five of My Life is at the end, I always ask people to recommend uh, someone else they want to hear. Uh, and whoever they are, I don't care who is recommended. I'm, I'm delighted you were. But I always follow them up. It doesn't mean they, they always say yes. But I'm building up quite a nice list of people who are on because other guests have said could you get on so that's that is you so thank yeah, you and I've noticed five of my life actually has six questions so I have thought about that one ah okay <laughs> well, well I used to say it was a surprise question but, but after you know five years it no longer is now we're starting in 2007 uh, and you have chosen uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg's film Hot Fuzz tell us why you've chosen that on five of my life so Hot Fuzz is English comedy and it's very best. Um, uh, It's the story of of the super achieving cop who gets chucked out of his London beat because he's making the others look bad. And he goes to the sleepy English village. And of course, the dark forces are at play and he has to solve that. But the reason I chose it is because I think me and the kids and the family have watched it many, many times. We probably know every line. And it's kind of family It's us sharing it together. And I love the fact that it brings us together and it makes us all seem so stupid. (laughs) Now, you mentioned your family. Uh, Tell us, uh, is it large, small, 100 kids, no kids? What's the... Well, there's, there's, there's me and Sarah, um, the wife, and then three kids, Katie, Megan, and Rowena, who are all grown up. and have all left home, you know, so we're empty nesters now. And I'm a granddad for the first time. Um, I now have a granddaughter about eight months old. So, oh. yes, a growing family. Oh, congratulations. And, and didn't I hear on the great mind that one of them's an Olympian, or am I making that up? That's absolutely right. Youngest daughter, Rowena, is a bronze medalist in the Tokyo Olympics in the women's quad, and she'll be competing, hopefully, in Paris, but it's tough to qualify. She's a medalist at the Olympics. Absolutely. Mate, I would burst into the studio <laughs> shouting that first. <laughs> Good honour. And the story is wonderful because um, it's a it's a story of an outsider coming good. They weren't supposed to qualify. They weren't supposed to make the finals, and they came good at the last moment. It's a wonderful story. And so, what is a quad? Is this rowing? Yes, rowing. Um, it's a, there's four uh, athletes in the boat, and they have 
two oars each, so it's a quad. There's also a four, which causes great confusion. And as it happens, the Australia four won the gold in Tokyo. So everyone thought she'd won gold. In fact, she won a bronze, which is no mean achievement. That, that's what, so it seems to me superhumanly fit and eat like 10 chickens a day and all that stuff. All of that. She told me the other day that she'd burn as many calories during the, the night's sleep as you and I would burn during a day. So, yeah, um, full-time athlete and, and ultra-dedicated and a wonderful story of resilience because athletes all have to deal with all sorts of um, setbacks and she's overcome them all. It's extraordinary. Your Hot Fuzz is like a family film. I love those films where you can all pile onto the sofa and watch it and, and to mine embarrassment the marsh family one is is love actually and, and f- forget the quality of the film it, yeah. it doesn't matter <laughs> no. right i mean i mean probably more than half the time we're not actually watching it we're throwing popcorn at each other or <laughs> you know or, or whatever else <laughs> or, you know. uh, um so uh, hot fuzz uh, there, there's so many questions that i want to ask you from that choice i suppose the most obvious one is simon Pegg, who's now famous for all the mission impossible things but simon Pegg and nick frost they used to be flatmates yes uh, and, and and then they, they made you know Shaun of the Dead and all these you know so they're a great sort of comedy duo and that their their careers have gone off in different directions but they're still great pals to this day um I, I would quite like you to talk to partnerships because in one of the things that you do in your life you have a partnership um and that seem that appears to be happy and successful <laughs> yes. I mean please tell me if you hate his guts uh, uh, um but but what do you think is the, the the secret behind a rewarding successful professional one that is a, a great question Nigel. Uh, so to explain uh, I also have a podcast it's called The Common Creative and I co-host it with Paul Fairweather and we've been running the podcast for around three years I don't think we've got as many episodes as five of my life but we're, we're knocking the door of 100 episodes and it came about because of the pandemic we were introduced through a mutual friend Paul's based in Brisbane and for two years we chatted and started the podcast online without ever having met face to face you were actually doing the podcast having not met never met um, that is that is new world. <laughs> that, that's a pandemic story. I love that. So if you were to go on your website with us, you'd think you two shared a flat at uni, and you'd never met the bloke. Never met. We've met. <laughs> we've met three times now, and the first meeting you can imagine after two years of corresponding online uh, was terrifying because we both were terrified that we wouldn't get on with each other. Uh, in fact, the reverse happened. Of course, when you're face to face, and you and I are face to face right now, and I'm very pleased that that's happened. When you're face to face. Different things happen. Magic happens that can never happen when you're online. But to your question, what makes a great partnership? Uh, We share, we were introduced because a, a mutual friend said, you guys are both equally odd in that you have this creative habit. Paul's a successful watercolor artist. He paints almost every day. Uh, I'm a photographer and I shoot almost every day. Um, for me, it's a, it's a creative discipline. For Paul, it's an outlet. And so behind this kind of business relationship, this podcast relationship, is this understanding that we we kind of motivated by the same things to express ourselves, to explore and to share ideas. Wow. Okay. And and it's been three years. Three years, absolutely. And there's no sign of it stopping. We we got plan. We're just in our planning for next year. So yeah. Oh, good on you. Your second choice. God, I love this book. English Passengers, Matthew Neal, 2000. I mean, it's almost unfair to ask you to briefly describe it because it's, I mean, it's a wonderful, simple, easy, <laughs> lovely, followable book to read. But if you describe it, your sort of head melts. But try and describe it and then tell us why you chose it on Find My Life. So it's the story of a bunch of misfits um, led by a pious vicar who leave the UK 
for Tasmania. But set in about 1857, I think. And they're on a mission to find the Garden of Eden so as to prove geologists who, who've decided that the Earth must be more than 6,000 years old uh, wrong. And apparently, I forget the exact logic, but if they can get to the Garden of Eden, that will prove the geologists wrong and thus preserve the integrity of the thinking in the Bible. Um, that's the plot in a nutshell. Uh, the, the magic in the book is the fact that all of the characters are misfits. They are, they are on very separate missions. There's a scientist slash racist, one of the characters. There's um, an indigenous guide who we meet early in the book who, who guides them in Tasmania, a guy called Pive. And each chapter is told through the eyes of a different character. And I think that's the magic. You, it reveals why they do what they do. And for me, it's a wonderful reminder that everybody has their own agendas. And, and quite often we don't realize it when people behave oddly. Uh, but seeing this book told through each different set of eyes is, is a wonderful, gives it wonderful richness. So there's 20 different narrators in the book. Uh, it's, a, it's such an achievement of the author where they all come together at the end yeah. in a way that, uh, you know, you think, oh, I'll never be able to follow that. Yeah, no, no, you can. And it, it, it's moving. It's shocking about the indigenous stuff. Oh, my word. I, yeah, I, I adore that book. It's, it's a wonderful rich story because the, the basic plot is very clear on a mission to find the Garden of Eden. And that's what threads the whole book together. But the characters are developed so well that you're desperate to know what's going to happen um, at the end, how it's all going to come together. The spoiler alert, you know it's going to end in disaster. They are on opposite courses, these different characters. But you can't wait to find out why. I think one of the secrets in the writing, and maybe this is a reflection of human life, is every character, at least at some level, thinks they're superior to all the other characters. You do work with business people about the power of story. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, so would you mind talking uh, about story generally? Stories are how human beings connect with each other. We're, we're wired to communicate and connect and learn and grow through storytelling. And you and I are both corporate refugees. We've been there with the suits and the offices and so on. And I've, and I've noticed in business that has been forgotten. And there are great ideas, great people, in a way, dying because their ideas aren't getting out there. They're not being heard. And so what I do in business is help people reconnect with the idea of storytelling and help them get their ideas across in a way that people want to listen. And to do that, you need characters, you need conflict, you need a mission. And all of those ingredients are missing in your average PowerPoint presentation on the budget update. All those kind of things that have killed us all over the years need stories to help them get their message across. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I also think Story can help individuals who are struggling make sense of their own life. And, and that is the beauty and the challenge of storytelling, because I think at its heart, every story is about you. And there you need to understand who that is in order to tell a story, even about the budget update. It ultimately <laughs> is about you. Yeah. There's, a, there's a quote in from from the world of, of painting and art, which is every portrait is a self-portrait. Right. Uh, ultimately, every story challenges you to be vulnerable and open about your own personal perspective. Um, and that is the joy of it because it, that's what we need to hear from people is about you and your ideas, even if it's a simple business presentation. Tell a story that resonates and connects and has got uh, yeah, you know, relatability, but also inspiration. The question I get asked a lot is when it's really important is – 
should I still tell stories? And I, I point them at Barack Obama's uh, fired up speech when he's running to be president for the first time. And he spends roughly half of his entire speech telling a story of a disastrous campaign rally that he did. That's an example of storytelling when the chips are down and you need people on board. Yeah. So the more important it is, the more important storytelling is. That's why we... And that was all a disguised plug for Five of My Life because the, <laughs> the whole point of Five of My Life is the choices are just a device yes. to get to people to tell their stories. Yeah. Your third choice, you have chosen the first song from the debut album uh, that you two released boy and uh, incredible re-listened this is over 40 years ago yeah. because the opening like eight chords tell you what their musical style is going to be for the next half of a century it's raw vital energetic optimistic it's a slap in the face kind of music. Um, there's a personal story there. I mean, to me, that music is about energy, optimism, and, and youthfulness, and kind of naivety. And I, and I'm, I think it's important for us all to remember the the power of just not knowing, not understanding, and putting it out there. And that's what they were doing through that song. I was actually a roadie at university. I got free tickets to, to, to concerts by being a roadie. And I, I met Bono um, just before that concert. I'd never heard a U2 song in my life. And I remember so well that moment. I, I chatted to him having no idea if they were a folk band or a jazz or anything. <laughs> and then standing in the audience and the first song they played, uh, I Will Follow, pounding out over the speakers and I was transfixed. It's a fantastic moment. So that's the only song that they have played on every single tour in their career. And it's extraordinary. Obviously, they've had many bigger hits. And I have to say, it's not my favourite YouTube no. song. It, but it is the one that has that rawness and edge well, it's, got, it. it's got a... Sp- a signature musical yes. note. So, so who else did you uh, uh, lug amps for? <laughs> uh, Bob Geldof was one of them. Um, yeah. But I think that the, the U2 example was probably the most significant because I did chat at some length to Bono and I asked him idiotic questions like, uh, is the music any good and are you the guitarist? I really <laughs> humiliated myself in front of him. Um, and it was clear in just chatting to him how passionate he was about the music. Uh, and I sort of got a hint before the concert started that it was going to be a very special evening. Is this Exeter? Exeter University, absolutely. Uh, okay, and, and uh, were there wild drug fueled years at Exeter? Or? I wish there had been. <laughs> I, I made a terrible mistake. I studied engineering at university because I really had no idea what to study. At the time, university education was free. And so as a, as a kid, you'd choose pretty much anything just to get yourself out of the house. Yeah. Um, and um, I've never practiced engineering for a day in my life and so as an engineer you work very hard and there aren't parties and all the cool kids are studying American arts or languages and so on so uh, now I wish there had been more drug fuel parties but um, now I just work too hard and then realized I didn't want to be an engineer and and did you meet Sarah there or Uh, no I didn't I met her after leaving university under an umbrella 
at an open air concert. I, I was one of the in England. Open air concerts are usually going to associate with rain, and there we were sitting in the rain, watching fireworks. It was a firework concert. Um, go through the clouds and disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> so you, but you're, you're, you're told there's a display. Yes, exactly. You, you yeah, can't yeah, see yeah, it. That's yeah. that's the life of English open air concerts. Yeah. And there was this girl with an umbrella, and it had enough space for two. And I was with a good mate, and I tipped him off, and I said, "Mate, there's only room for two under that umbrella, and it's not going to be for you." <laughs> and so, so this is great. So, so with, with the sexual mores of the time, I mean, now you'd be uh, tasered and put in jail. Did you say, "Can I share your umbrella?" Please? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and she must have liked the cut of your jib because she said yes. <laughs> yes. And I, as I said, there was a. In fact, the, my mate became the best band when we got married. But I had, oh. to, had to forewarn him, mate. You're not getting under that umbrella. It's, this is uh, out of bounds. As of and, and, and did the umbrella get 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 a workout in the speeches? The story. <laughs> it did indeed. It's in the wedding photos. Exactly that same <laughs> umbrella. <yeah. laughs> and it didn't rain on the wedding day. I'm pleased to say. <laughs> and now, now, Bono wrote that song uh, about his mum who died uh, early. It, would you mind? talking a little bit about your parents. So they're both still alive and, and relatively well in the UK. Come from a big family. There are five of us all up, three brothers, sister and me. All of the brothers and sisters are still in the UK. And it's very interesting watching them grow and develop and compare it with what we're doing in Australia because you and I, we're both kind of in a way refugees from the UK. We've made that big decision to leave the country. And so there's always a question in your mind, is that was that the right decision? I, I am so happy to be here in Australia. I, I took a very quick decision where possible to, to become an Australian citizen. My daughter competes and waves the flag for Australia. But and it's interesting how you try and stay part of the family, but that geographic distance bit by bit by bit takes you apart. I'll give you a little example. It's not directly related to the family, but the bank in the UK wrote to me recently saying, you've got to shut your account because you're not living in Britain. And bit by bit, these little things happen. Your UK license goes, you know, that party that you might have gone to, bit by bit, you get distant through a family, no matter how hard you try to stay connected. Uh, that's exactly what's happening to Kate and I. Both my parents have passed. And my decision, it's interesting hearing you talk about it because it mirrors mine where I am an Australian because I actively took the choice to do it and like you I did it as soon as I could yeah. I identify 100% as an Australian although I have a problem with the rugby side <laughs> <laughs> that's probably going to have to be edited out but I support Australia in everything but it just I spent a couple of years trying to support the Wallabies against England I, I, just who you're kidding, Nigel. Right? I, I, I would be leaping off the sofa at the wrong time. <laughs> so they're both wonderful, um, both alive. And, and they've kind of, they sort of dedicated themselves to the family, which I think it's remarkable. And, and like you, I went to a private school, so that was a big dent on the budgets and so on. Um, well, boarding or? Yeah, boarding school. Yes, not from five, but not far off that. So they, they're commitment, their passion has always been about the family, uh, which I think is wonderful. And it's a kind of bedrock, I think, of anybody that's going to explore. If you, you can't explore, you can't experiment unless you've got this sort of safety net behind you. And it, it's a, I think it's a really important for anyone that's creative trying to express themselves. You've got to know it's safe. And so having a family environment, whether it's here in Australia, and I've got a great family here, but that wider family from the UK gives you that platform. And it's something I, I, I teach and talk about is if, you, if you're trying to express yourself, um, it's got to feel safe and you need people around you that will respect that and so on. So, so something I did uh, in the uh, five years before my mum passed, my dad passed away before my mum, was 
I sent every single book club book to her at the same time as it, immediately it was chosen. And she's read it and I've read it. Then, then rather than saying, what's the weather like? You know, how was yeah, Boris yeah. Johnson doing or whatever it is? You, you, you go, wasn't that an incredible book? A bit, a bit yeah. like what I'm trying to do with this show is, is, is you create a shared thing. And it's, it's a good point, because especially with parents. You're used to the relationship happening by default. And as you have kids, the relationship becomes transactional. Here are the kids to babysit. I'll be picking them up in three hours type of thing. And there's no time set aside for, for actually developing a relationship and sharing some experiences. And, and so I, I think you make a good point is to kind of keep a relationship alive. You, you need to make an effort to find those shared experiences. I, I think it's a great example because you can't nip round there and go to a movie or something. So sending a book, something like that gives you something to bond over. Your fourth choice is, and I've got a picture of it here, uh, it's a yellow marker boy in the sea <laughs> well in the harbour uh, off Balmoral Beach could you describe it for us please and yes. then tell us your story behind that uh, we call it the post it's a it is indeed a marker boy it's not a post and yet it's called the post and it's about 300 meters off the beach at Balmoral Beach so it's a place in the middle of the ocean and I swam around it this very morning um, so I'm, I'm a keen ocean swimmer not a very good ocean swimmer but uh, I swim every morning in the sea come rain or shine and the post is 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 this place of nothingness there's no technology you're surround you're immersed in the ocean immersed in nature uh, and we almost always stop at the post and pause a bit and absorb the beauty uh, so i'm so lucky to live near such a wonderful beach and such beautiful water and then we'll chat about nonsense for a bit and then move on but it's it represents a, a, a in a way a safe space that allows you to kind of just think about nothing to wander to and to just soak up the raw beauty of that spot it's just wonderful do, do you go in a group uh, almost always in a group i mean you don't want to swim too far offshore without a few people with you not least because statistics of getting beaten by a shot improve if you've people with you yeah always swim even if there aren't people there uh, i started ocean swimming here in australia I wasn't a swimmer before i arrived and i started swimming to conquer my fear of sharks it wasn't for the swimming it was to conquer the fear now and that was years and years ago now it's a ritual you you do it in a shark motorway where, where, yes, where, that's right. That because <laughs> I, you, you, you've done the Sydney Skinny, haven't you? I have indeed. Many times I love the Sydney Skinny. <laughs> but, but I, you know, obviously I'm very passionate about that event. And But then when you learn about the, you know, it's sort of, sort of idiotic pom. You go, I mean, there aren't sharks here, are they? Yeah, 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 lots. Yeah, really? That's right. Yeah, yeah, and in particular here. Really? And you go, well, how do you think they get in and out? I mean, it's, it's literally a motorway yeah, for sharks. So, so there are, there are, there's a motorway. They tag sharks. They can, they can spot them, come into the heads, uh, and then up past Balmoral Beach, under the bridge, if you've been across the bridge, <laughs> yeah. and they breed in, in quite far inland, and that is the shark highway. I guess there are a couple of things... Uh, one is that, uh, maybe I'm kidding myself, Shark Highway's on the other side of, it's away from the beach and no shark would go off course uh, towards our beach, would they? Um, statistically, the most dangerous thing I do each morning is, is drive down to the beach. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that's kind of what was motivating me to get in the water is the facts show that that road trip is the dangerous bit, not the swimming bit. And 
And yet your brain is conjuring up these crazy notions of dark monsters who are going to get you and so on. And I, I thought there's got to be a way to overcome that. And the, my solution was to just tough it out. When you first start swimming with a group, you swim kind of either behind them or in the middle in the hope that that would somehow. <laughs> but then after a while, you, you kind of you realize this is pure joy. And all, I think all the people I swim with, we make lots of sharp jokes, by the way, even when we're in the water. And all the people we swim with, if, if we got attacked by a shark, I think we kind of accept that risk. We know that it's something that's there. And it's definitely not worth keeping out of the water for because the upside is so good. I think that shark story is really, really interesting because, you know, that, that book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yes, yes. I love all these bloody self-help books where, where, where you, get <laughs> you, the, do, you, you, get, you get the message in the title. You don't need to read 400 <laughs> bloody pages of lame stories. You go, I've got it from the title. So I, I, your shark story is fabulous. Do it anyway, guys. It's vital to take risk to put yourself out there and accept that it, it could well go wrong. In fact, it probably will at certain stages. Uh, I guess it's the fact that you've... If you need to retreat, if you need to lick your wounds, then you've got a safe space to go back to. And also, when ideas are half-formed, they're not ready to be slashed and cut. And we're all trained, perhaps at school, I don't know, to slash and cut very quickly. And so what I'm, I'm saying is if you can – I'm beginning to think about this painting or I'm starting – half a thought. You need people with you who will help you and support you. Ultimately, you put yourself out there and go, here it is. And the world may go, that's great. And the world may go, it's rubbish. And you've got to be able to deal with that. But when things are starting off and you're just beginning, you need that little bit of encouragement. I'm thinking of going swimming in the ocean. Yeah, it might be fun. Why not give it a try? Rather than, oh, it'll be really cold and there are sharks swimming, which is how most people react. Uh, that is – such an important nuance the timing of input slash criticism and, and that's why in a way it's it's an act of selfishness because you're, you're first you're thinking this is for me what's going to make it worthwhile how am i going to learn out of this how am i going to explore out of this and then it's kind of no no one can judge it because it's not for you and you're saying i would do it this way and good you do it your way okay, this is for me this bit of it and i think those moments when it all goes wrong if you can have the presence of mind to go well can't not everything goes right all the time and hey <laughs> you either learn from it um i'm not suggesting you can learn from everything that goes wrong it's lovely if you really could every now and then it just goes wrong and you want to <laughs> you want to die and just forget it didn't happen. but that's fine you've got to just kind of learn how to pick yourself up and do the next thing now you're last choice on five my life and i hope i get this right it's a canon eos 1000 f slr film camera correct launched in 1990 explain yourself meredith <laughs> thank you um, and you know shockingly i don't even own that camera anymore right it, it was the first proper camera i ever owned and and the reason i picked it is that it was a gift from Sarah, my wife, to me. And I'd, I'd done a bit of photography at school, but that kind of hobby had fallen out of my life, and she gave it to me. I loved it hugely. At the time, the kids were just coming along, and so it was a chance to take baby photos and bore my friends with that and so on. But it was the trigger that started my passion for photography and photo art and to, to this day I, uh, you know i'm a passionate photographer and that so that trigger is now what 30 something years ago so it's the, i chose that for two reasons one is because it was such a thoughtful gift from sarah um, who consistently manages to think more about me than her i think and the other because it led to such 
amazing things. I've met amazing people. I've I've sort of pushed myself in various ways with photography, and and I love what photography can deliver for me and for other people. So, do you post a picture every day? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I've seen I've seen calendars of yours, and I, I I just think you take some sensational pictures. And there's something I've got a bit of a confession. You know, when you pick up the wrong detail from something. Yes. Yes. You know, you know, so you're shown, uh, you know, a news footage. You go, oh, I can't believe those curtains. You go, no, no, that's not. <laughs> That's that's not the main point, mate. Right. So, so I, I'm I'm going to say something that please don't hate me. Okay, it's a bit crass. But so, so I love your work. But I also love the profile of North Head. Oh, no, go, that's it's not so a... it's so you go, it comes down in an absolute straight line, but then right there's a little angle. bit, yeah. and then there you go, and you go, wow! And so it's the backdrop of lots of your photos. It, it absolutely. I, I, um, I've got a, a number of exhibitions coming up, and there's a title I'm toying with, which is pictures of North Head mainly at dawn. <laughs> so I'm saying I agree with you completely. There is something magical about that brutal lump of rock. I feel really lucky. The thing about Balmoral Beach is you can see the open ocean from one end of it, the horizon, which is liberating and you see the sunrise over the open ocean. But at the same time, it's enclosed by North Head. And I know photographers who, who, there's always a photographer at every beach in the world, I think, certainly in Australia. And the ones who are at open ocean beaches have a much tougher task because they don't have that cuddly framing device of North Head, which is the backdrop. It's the signature, if you like, of Balmoral Beach. And I, I love to make sure you can see North Head somewhere in a picture. Just to say that's Balmoral, maybe it's a way of saying that's a Chris Meredith picture. I don't know. You know that in class or in a lecture, you you thinking of asking something and then you don't and then someone else asks it and you think, why the bloody... I am so glad that I mentioned North Head because I was thinking, he's going to say, you goose, is it in my pictures? I have not noticed. So I'm really glad I mentioned it. Um, the sixth question is, uh, you were recommended uh, to me, which I'm very, very glad that you were. And thank you for coming on, mate. Um, and I'm very honoured to be here, Nigel. Thank you. Uh, is, who do you want to hear on Five My Life? next and why no i have thought about this one and the person i i'd like to nominate is is a another brit she's based in australia her name is lexi airy and she's the chief executive of a probably australia's smallest bank it's called gateway bank and the reason i think she would be a fascinating guest is because she's the least likely banking executive you could ever hope to meet. I'll tell you a short story about her. I hope she repeats it for you. She used to work for a bank in the UK at a retail branch and a robber came in one day and she was the bank branch was held up. It was an armed robbery and this robber pointed a gun at her head and instead of being terrified or running or whatever she thought you can't kill me. I've got so much I need to do with my life. It'll be a waste. So the robbery was over. She quit that next day and swore never to work in a bank again. And now I would call her an artist, an environmental activist, a social worker. Oh, and she happens to run a, a very small bank. What an amazing, powerful thing if people could access that without the shotgun. It would be fascinating to hear her talk about would she have done what she has subsequently done if she hadn't had a shotgun put in her face or would she have stayed in that job and never broken out and done something? It's a great question. This is, this is going to sound like a plug for my business. It's, it's not. Um, we all need those unexpected jolts. 
we need that kind of external stimulus. Um, my business name is Chili Sauce because uh, you have to add spice. You have to get something to kind of give you that hot reaction. And I'm, I defy anyone to to say their first experience of chili was a pleasant one. And yet, uh, I love the stuff. Uh, and mm. and you need that outside heat sharpness to force you to react and do something maybe jumping in a cold ocean is the same thing it's a kind of shock to the system that forces you to assess yourself well, one of my favorite quotes you know um, grayson perry the artist oh he fabulous goes, <laughs> he goes, you've it. got to sort the potato <laughs> <laughs> um, mate thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your choices on five my life nigel it's been a huge pleasure thank you so much Thank you for listening to this episode. If you follow Five of My Life, you might enjoy my latest book, Smart, Stupid and 60. In it, I write about a number of the issues discussed on the show. It's the 20-year follow-on from my first book, Fat, 40 and Fired. If you have any feedback on the book or suggestions for the show, please get in touch via my website, nigelmarsh.com.